Welcome to the Grand Conversation, the Machon Siach podcast. Machon Siach at SAR High School, honoring the memory of Belda Kaufman Lindenbaum, Zichrona Levracha, is the research arm of SAR High School, where faculty have the opportunity to bridge theory and practice on matters of Jewish education, curriculum, and culture. I'm your host, Shmuel Hain, Rosh Beit Midrash at SAR High School. Our producer is Avi Bloom, and our engineer is Greg Schmidt. This two-part episode of The Grand Conversation is the second in a series devoted to the research and programs on the subject of substance use in our school and in our communities. In our previous episode, our host for this series, Dr. Rivka Press-Schwartz, talked with Ms. Daylene Bouliou about the history of how we at Machon Siach learned about the research, the surveys, and the parent learning program called Guiding Good Choices, which has been embraced by SAR High School and many other yeshiva high schools. In this episode, Dr. Press Schwartz first discusses the importance of conducting surveys in order to acquire reliable anonymous data about our students' practices and beliefs with Rabbi Joey Beta. Rabbi Beta is principal of the Joel Braverman Yeshiva Flatbush High School, and he has been a real thought partner with us on the importance of data and student surveys in Yeshiva high schools. The second part of the episode features a conversation between Dr. Press Schwartz and Mr. Jake Trumbo, Project Coordinator of Survey Services at Bach Harrison Research and Evaluation Services. Together, they discuss the Prevention Needs Assessment, the national survey that SAR High School and some 20 other yeshiva high schools have been using for our substance use research. For this part of our conversation about the use of data in education, we are joined by Rabbi Joseph Beta. Rabbi Beta is the head of school at Yeshiva of Flappish Joel Braverman High School in Brooklyn, New York. And the reason we invited him to join us for this part of the podcast is because he has been a partner in the substance use initiative undertaking since back when we called it the Yeshiva League Substance Use Initiative. He's been a partner from the beginning in figuring out how we would approach it and what we would do, and then taking the approach of surveying and gathering the data. And throughout, Rabbi Beta has been a big advocate of the use of data, real data, serious data, rigorous data, to inform what we do in schools, to shape our decision-making, to guide us, to tell us where we're doing well and where we're doing not as well, maybe. And so we thought that he would be a great voice to hear as part of this conversation of the use of data to understand where we are and where we need to get as a high school community. Rabbi Beta, welcome. Thank you, Mrs. Schwartz. Uh, Rivka, it's great to see you uh, and uh, to be able to be a part of this program. It's been great partnering with SAR over the last, I lost track of how many years, but it's been a while. It and, has been uh, a while. So, so, so this 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 uh, conversation will probably uh, uh, jog my memory on a lot of different things, and I'm looking forward to that. Great. Thank you. In the course of our pre-conversation before this recording and our preparation, you told me how you had come to be interested in data and thinking about data in schools and schooling. I wonder if you could share with us how that first came to be an area of interest of yours. Sure. Um, so I have a business background. I actually worked for Deloitte for three years before going into to Jewish education. So business and uh, the numbers that surround business were the type of head that I thought of just naturally, in addition to being a big sports fan. And, uh, you know, the world of sports is often measured in statistics, wins, losses, et cetera. And um, about at this point, it's uh, seven, eight years ago, when I first became principal at, at Flatbush, uh, people would ask me, really in passing in a hallway somewhere, uh, a board member would say, how's it going? How, how, how's the year going? How are things going at Flatbush? And um, 
my initial response would always be, okay, great. And and that, but in my mind, I would ask myself, really, how do I know? Are, are we having a good year or not? And if I was uh, con comparing Flatbush to uh, Apple or Google or uh, General Motors or, or GE uh, or to the Yankees and the Giants and the and the Lakers, um, you know, those places had very clear ways of measuring how they were doing. Uh, they were the big ones that everyone knew, but there were often the little pieces that um, the, the internal management knew or the, the people who paid careful attention really knew. And I, I wondered, um, did we have that for, for school? And I, I didn't feel like we did because it didn't come out off the tip of my tongue. And um, and I wondered if school was just different. You know, you had to go by feel and anecdote and, and it was it was too hard to to measure this, or if we did have statistics that could kind of give us a sense of how we were doing. And uh, I, I didn't really use the term uh, data or big data at the time, uh, although it was definitely out there in the world, uh, but uh, that really got me thinking about it. And um, ever since then, I've looked for opportunities for us to be able to, to, to get a sense of how are we doing? Measuring how we're doing or figuring out how to measure how we would do about something that we were looking to do and uh, using data of various different points of different types was really something that piqued my curiosity and is something we've tried to incorporate into the way that we run the school. I think we've made tremendous progress. And at the same time, I think we still at this point, many years later, still feel we're not there. We still feel like there, there's things about measuring what we do and how we do it, which we haven't figured out exactly how to quantify. And um, so it's it's an ongoing journey. Before we get to some of what you figured out how to measure and what you measure, something you said in that conversation really stuck with me, which is the things that we can measure easily, which is like enrollment numbers and college acceptance data, not necessarily the things we care the most about. And it's much harder to figure out how to measure if kids are growing religiously, if they feel connected to the Jewish community or Medina Israel, if they're making different life choices. And those are the things that are much harder to measure. And so it's easy to kind of default to measuring numbers are up, enrollment is up, admissions are holding steady, when those may not be the things we care the most about. And I think that that's a much bigger question because obviously those things are much harder to measure and they leave us going, as you said, by anecdote and feel. But for the moment, yeah. I want to ask you about some of the things that you have figured out how to measure. I know that your school really, you've been leaders in using data within a school setting, certainly within the broader Yeshiva League community. And I wonder if you could tell us some of the ways you've done that, what you've gathered data about, and then what you've done with the data that you've gathered. Sure. So I'm going to really break it down into, into two types. Um, surveys have been huge. Uh, we use a lot, a lot of surveys. When you come to Flatbush, uh, you're going to get survey fatigue because we we ask a lot of questions because we want to get a sense of how we're doing and, and getting that kind of feedback and getting it in uh, the big statistical sense has been very, very significant for us. Um, and we do it on a number of different levels, which uh, which speaks to what you just said, which is trying to get a sense about the important things uh, or, or and 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 generally it's going to have a lot to do with what people feel about the important things. So so as we um, different types of surveys that we've used, I'll give you a few. Uh, the biggest project that we've done, and I believe it's about 10 years now that we're doing this, is our annual student satisfaction survey, uh, which is about 
it takes about 30 minutes for students to complete. Uh, we've learned a number of different things about how to do a survey through this survey. And one of the things that we learned is you have to stop school. Nothing else happens. Everyone knows this is a big deal. Uh, you have to prep people ahead of time to say this is going to happen at this time. Uh, and, and everyone stops and, and, and works on the survey. Um, and it's a, it's a very wide ranging survey about how our students feel about a variety of aspects in school. Uh, it really helps us get a sense of uh, how students feel about big things and small things in school. It's been really an amazing process because we've seen over 10 years uh, how consistent it is, which gives it a, a good deal of uh, validity and authenticity, but also how things change and, and seeing those changes uh, and what affects those changes is, is very, very significant. So it's been a big deal for us in the time that we've, we've done this. Again, we're doing this 10 years. In the last couple of years, I, I think it started COVID or post-COVID, uh, we actually uh, had a number of other schools join on. And I should say that a big part of what makes the survey work is that we um, we hired an independent third company to to run the survey so that the it's anonymous and and they do a lot of the the data parsing and uh, and help us do the interpreting which is very helpful uh, and a good practice for this type of thing if anyone else is looking to copy it um, and since then we've been able to to get a group of other schools I think we have five or six other Jewish day schools around the country that join on. And it actually is very helpful because we're able to see how our students do not only against our students in previous years, but also against other schools. And that's been very helpful in getting a sense of where, what our student experience is, how our students feel about a whole host of issues, including uh, how they feel about the academics in school, the, the extracurriculars, college guidance, the choice of electives, uh, but also to things that are experiential, like uh, how, do, how often do you feel overwhelmed, substance abuse, bullying, uh, cheating, uh, et cetera. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a whole load of things. Um, and it's been really great for us to get the sense uh, of of how students feel about things, and it helps us determine where we stand. So that's one uh, survey that's been very significant. Uh, obviously, you talked about the substance abuse survey. We're part of something that's much bigger, but we've gotten the feedback off of that. And by the way, it's been very consistent with the survey data that we get from our own uh, internal student survey, which has a few questions on things. Um, and finally, uh, another survey that we did a couple of years ago, uh, and uh, it was a religious observance survey. And we do a religious observance survey within the, the student survey that I mentioned. But what we did, which we were really thrilled to be able to do uh, just after COVID, was to do uh, an alumni survey. And we actually put this survey out uh, for 10 years of alumni to get a sense of where do they stand religiously? And this really goes back to the, what you mentioned before is how do you measure how you're doing as a school? Well, this was a big one. This was, you know, they're out for 10 years and, and, and everywhere in between. Uh, how are they doing on uh, Shmirat Shabbat, uh, keeping kosher, tarat mishpacha, giving tzedakah, et cetera. And um, it, it was a really great survey. We saw, we, we saw based on the data and the demographic data that we got a really good piece because it's hard to get to get alumni to respond because the students in school, right. you could sit them down and say, here, sit at your computer and do this now. The alumni, you're sending a link out into, into you know, the cyberverse or whatever it's called, and, uh, and, and you have no control over them doing it. And you do worry about 
are you getting a representative sample? But it actually was remarkably consistent with um, our demographics. Did you go to Israel or not? Where you went to college, boys, girls, et cetera. And what was pretty cool was that it was very consistent with the data of current students, which meant that um, how we were doing as a, as a school in terms of religiously and, and how committed students were to, to the religious values and practices of the school, uh, what we were seeing in current school was, was enduring and was lasting, uh, which was, a, was really a, a nice thing to be able to see. It gave us the sense, again, you never fully know, but it gave us the sense that um, hey, we're accomplishing something. So, uh, so, so that was something that was a nice uh, bit on the survey that we used. So, so surveys have been uh, very significant in terms of the data that we use. Uh, it's not the only data that we use. Um, we definitely an, another piece. If I could shift over, uh, is um, we wanted to get a sense of how we're doing in terms of attendance and you know other forms of accountability coming to Mignon and uh, cutting classes, uh, et cetera. And um, we keep records on that. We look at that uh, uh, semester to semester, sometimes even much, much tight in much shorter windows in terms of that. And that was another piece of um, significant uh, usage to get a sense of our students, quote, following the rules, are the systems working? Can we change policies that affect things for the for the positive? Um, and, and that was another area that was very significant. And um, the area that I think has been not yet fully tapped was figuring out how to have our grades be meaningful for us. Um, and and um, you would think that's the easiest thing to figure. Um, but one of the things I read somewhere else is that uh, in the United States of America, so this is not just a Flatbush issue, uh, the number one, uh, the majority of grades given are A. Um, so there's this, there's this grade issue that goes out in the world, which is a problem I think students and teachers have, which is, it's almost like you're, you're it's like, like they used to be innocent until proven guilty, <laughs> A unless not A, you know? So, so, so I think there's a, there's an issue around grading in the world that makes this a heck of a lot more challenging. But we do, we do, and again, this is another issue, although I think it's going to swing back in the next couple of years. We do use uh, test scores like APs and PSATs and SATs to evaluate certain things as well. And um, those are bits and pieces of data that we use in, in ways to get a sense of how are we doing? What type of grade do we have? What areas do we need to, to do we need to to work on a little more? All of those uh, bits and pieces of data help us. I still don't have that like score sheet that I'd love to be able to have. Like the, you know, the Yankees walk in on a given Saber day. Sabermetrics of high school, and and they know they know are they in first place or second place or third place? You know the 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 the. Uh, the CEO of of uh, you know pick the company right they have to do their 10Q you know they 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 do their 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 annual reports and things like that we don't have that full dashboard that I'd love to have it's something that we're working on but it's it's been a slow a slow go so um, so I'd say we've made some progress there's definitely some areas that that uh, we think are very helpful and if others aren't doing they could definitely learn from and. We'd be happy to share that with anyone who is interested. Um, but I think we still have a long way to go to get to that point where I can answer the person and say, oh, we're doing great because 
boom, boom, boom. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, we're not there yet. There's a lot here that's fascinating that I want to follow up on. So we're going to take a few of these different things, I think, in reverse order. But first, I'll just say, yes, the CEO has the data to look at. But I think one of the issues that sometimes come up as a question is whether the metrics that they're looking to maximize are the right ones. You know, Boeing has developed a very unfortunate propensity to have their planes fall apart in midair, which is suboptimal when it comes to airplanes. And part of the conversation seems to be that in prioritizing profits over redundant safety systems, so maybe if you don't measure the right things, you can be making profit until parts of your 737 blow out in midair. But working backwards, I want to say that one thing that you said that really was very fascinating to me, people who are listening to me who know my role in SAR High School will laugh because one of my roles in SAR High School is attendance and attendance systems and attendance enforcement. But we have never looked at it. It sounds like you're looking at aggregate attendance data, right? Like how many kids overall are cutting class or coming late? So not just this individual student or that individual student, but in the school in general, how does it look like kids are doing? Did I understand that correctly? Are you looking at like overall attendance data? Yeah, I mean, we definitely look at individuals as well, <laughs> but we definitely look at how we're doing overall to get a sense for um, what kind of group do we have? What kind of, uh, are our policies working? Um, is there a bit, you know, there, there have been times where um, teachers have said to us, uh, you know, no one ever goes to class, you know, or something <laughs> like that. And where it's it's helpful to be able to say, listen, I, I hear your frustration about X, Y, or Z, but we do want to show you the actual facts of, of uh, what's happening. And believe it or not, we're actually having a good year or the reverse. Sometimes the answer has been, you know, we, we, we look at the numbers and we see this uptick also. And yeah, we have to figure out something together as to how to deal with that. Both of those conversations have happened and they're much healthier around uh, a data than than without it. Uh, without it, it's you know how anyone feels about a given time. And you know when when someone tells you you know oh a few years ago everything worked so phenomenally you know the good old days argument you know sometimes when you could show that the good old days weren't actually that good or you know or whatever so so that's a it's a helpful thing. Fascinating. Students of SAR High School, a preview of coming attractions, aggregate data analysis, and policy changes that result. That's great. Working my way further backwards, I just want to say that um, so interesting to hear you talk about the alumni survey, and I will reach out to you afterwards and ask for your questions. Rabbi Tully Hartstark, founding principal of SAR High School, and Dean of Machon Siach, and I sat down this morning. This was not a setup. We actually sat down this morning to start drawing up questions for an alumni survey because that's something that we've never done. Our first graduating class graduated at Sarah High School in 2007. Obviously, Yeshiva Flappish High School is much, much older. But we have our first graduates graduate in 2007, and we've never done a comprehensive survey gathering data and finding out who our alumni are, what they're up to in their lives, what choices they've made, and as you said, how that tracks or doesn't track with where they were in high school. And so we just sat down today. We also are working with an outside survey and research firm to draw up the questions and analyze the data. And we just sat down today to start writing up the questions. So I will ask you for and be really interested to see what your questions look like as we embark ourselves at the very beginning of this long process to try to get a portrait of who our alumni are. My pleasure. Great, thanks. And now moving my way backwards and to the question about the student satisfaction service that you've been doing. If you're comfortable sharing, can you tell me anything that came out of that surveying that was striking to you? Anything that came out of that surveying that you changed something in the school as a result of something you learned from the student surveys? Um, there's a number of things that were significant. Um, I think, um, you know, one of the things that we saw was, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you almost like a 
not as a negative one or whatever you'll whatever you'll call it. You, you, you can interpret it how you want. Um, one of the questions that's most striking, there's a number of striking responses. I, for me, one of the questions that's most strongly striking is the response to, do you feel at times overwhelmed by, by school? Uh, and it's one of the questions where students most strongly answer, yes, we do. Um, you know, the, the things the things that are like, the thing that's most positive, clear as day, 10 years, it's always consistently gets rated the highest is seminar. And our Shabbaton is like the thing that the kids love the most and it, it, it's in there and it works. The, on the negative, the thing that everyone says is overwhelm. So, so like we looked at it and we, it, like it, it, as, as people who care about our students, it, it, like it makes our heart sink, you know, it's like, oh my goodness. So we went and we did, um, we said, you know what, we think we can make a change in this by changing our test calendar. Uh, at the test calendar at the Yeshiva of Flatbush a couple of years ago, basically more than two thirds of the days that you came into school, you were taking a test. It was more than two thirds. There was some, if once you cut out the beginning and 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 the, and certain pockets of time where there were no tests, it was every day that you were coming to take a test. So we said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to really change the way testing works, and we're going to put them only in concentrated periods and give kids days off of school so they could study. And we made this whole system that, you know, some positive, some negative, but we made, you, you couldn't not be impacted by this thing. And then we looked at the end of the year, we looked at, or whatever, we do it in March, but we looked at, in March, we looked at the survey and 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 the students overwhelmed and it didn't change one <laughs> iota. You know? and, and we learned from that, that, that whatever is driving that overwhelmed feeling has nothing to do with the tests, um, at, which was, was intriguing to us because we didn't expect it to dissipate or go away. But it didn't change not one percent, uh, and and that was that was significant for us to be able to to say uh, we tried something and it failed, uh, which I think is a big part of of a successful yeah. organization is is the ability to a take risks and b be be able to respond to the to the failure, um, and it, it was it was a definite failure in that regard, and this helped us appreciate that 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 was not that didn't help. Uh, at least in, from that aspect. If if it might have helped for other reasons, it might have. But from a, a student stress standpoint, zero. So so for me, that was something that was significant. Um, I think uh, the one of the big questions that we ask in the survey is uh, how do students feel about school? Like, would they overall? Like, would you? And, and the question is a standard question that appears in a lot of satisfaction surveys. Would you recommend this school to somebody else like you? Um, and and I remember clearly when we first took it that um, we it's like a five point scale and we scored a three three point one um, in our first year and and uh, we asked the the uh, the people who ran the survey is that good you know we, we didn't it was our first time doing a survey we did not interpret it and they said well. So we don't know because we're this. You're the first school that we really do this with. Most schools don't do anything like this. Uh, Against ten years ago, and um, but we know from other situations, like you really want to get to four out of five. And we were like, that's, that's impossible. It can't be school. You know, camp. Okay, you could get to a four. You know, everyone loves camp and it's fun and there's color war. And even though we have color war, I was also, gonna say we do color war in school also, but. Uh, you know, and and I know sometimes people say it's a camp, but you know, maybe someone's boyfriend split up with them that day, and there's tests, and they can't get to that. We said, but we said we don't know. We'll see. 
Um, and, and we watched as over a number of years, because it didn't happen uh, like that, but over a number of years, we actually did um, see that satisfaction score change over years and change sometimes in bigger blocks as certain things were happening in the school. And, um, and, and we did get to a point where we hit 4.0. We actually dipped a little bit since then. And now we're debating where we are and how, you know, also how much we, we necessarily want to be in that situation. Um, but it, that that was another area where the survey was um, was significant on top of the the religious piece, which um, again was it didn't really di dedicate it, it didn't dictate how much we were running school per se, but it did help provide um, our Judaic studies teachers in particular. Although in in Flatbush, one of the things I'm proud of is our secular studies teachers are pretty much all dedicated to the students' religious growth as much, sometimes more, as our, our Judaic studies teachers. And um, seeing that this is how students were faring once they came out and that that was consistent with how they were faring in school gave people a, a, a real sense of, um, of purpose and validation for the work that they were doing. Uh, because as anyone knows, the, the, being in the trenches on a day-to-day -day in school uh, can sometimes be frustrating. So so uh, seeing that validation was significant as well. Really fascinating to hear all of this. We had a similar experience in SAR and cutting back on the number of tests, changing how we do testing. And we didn't feel like it decreased students' level of stress or pressure, but we don't have, as you do, the data to say, actually, students aren't reporting at all feeling less overwhelmed. Zero. It was crazy. Zero. <laughs> so for us, it's just anecdotes and feelings, but it's really fascinating to hear that you have the data to back this up. I want to thank you so much for this conversation. For starters, I feel, even though I've been talking to you about these issues for years, I feel like I learned so much from this. I will certainly follow up with you about the alumni survey. There might be other things. Again, SAR students are now going to look forward to us analyzing um, aggregate attendance data. Any final things you want to share with anyone who's listening about data, schools, data in schools, or anything else? Look, I think I, I think data is important to use. I, I think we should be careful to, to realize two things. Number one, it's not as easy to get and gather as you'd like. As I mentioned from the beginning, there's I've had a dedication towards this, and here it's seven, eight years later, and I'm still not where I want to be because it's hard. It's not so simple. Schools generally don't think that way, and um, and and we we are very risk averse, failure averse. So that makes it harder to get uh, data in in a, in a fair and honest way. So that's something that I would uh, I would I would point out. Um, the other thing I would say is, as much as I'm a data advocate, and I, I think it is important to use. I think there's, uh, like in other areas, like in sports and in business, you can't be blinded by data either. Uh, I think there is uh, certain aspects of the eye test, the ear test, the experience tests, uh, the anecdotes that are significant and that um, it's as much as I'd advocate for for use of data, for for, for planning, for assessing and, and, and the like, um, I don't get so locked into it that you 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 don't um, uh, keep your finger on the pulse. I don't know if that's the right term because that's a data piece as well. But <laughs> but get a sense of how people feel, what people are saying. Keep using focus groups and 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 other other measures of of uh, of understanding what's happening, including just the, the wisdom that people develop over the years with experience. You know, it's not as simple as um, you could put it all on a spreadsheet because I, I don't believe you can. 
Terrific. Thank you so, so much. This has been a wonderful conversation. Again, as I said, I learned a great deal from it. Rabbi Joseph Beda, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for being part of this Machlon Siach podcast. Thank you. My pleasure. Rabbi Beda gave us a broad overview of the use of data in high school education, how we might gather it, what we might learn from it, and to what uses it might be put. In the next part of this podcast, we'll go deep with Jake Trombo, who worked with the survey and research firm Bach Harrison that oversaw and analyzed the substance use survey that Machon Siach conducted with partners in 20 different modern Orthodox high schools in 2019, 2020, and 2023. And Machon Siach, for the past almost seven years now, has been working on a research project about substance use in the modern Orthodox community. It's a little bit of a long story of how we got here. Some of you who listened to our earlier podcast with Daleen Bolia will know something about that. But at some point along the way, it became clear to us that part of the work was that we had to actually figure out what the scale and scope of the problem of substance use in the modern Orthodox community was. We really didn't know that. Kids would tell us their own invented numbers. I think this percentage of my class uses that marijuana, this percentage of my class drinks, but none of them knew and none of us knew. And so it became clear as we were getting this effort underway. Again, when I say almost seven years, we got started in the fall of 2017, and we're now sitting here in the winter of 2024. So really a pretty long time that we've been working on this. So it became clear to us that we were going to need to gather real and meaningful data about the scope scope of this problem. And Daylene Bolia, whom we were working with at the University of Washington, referred us to an organization called Bach Harrison. Bach Harrison is a survey and research firm. We weren't going to do this data gathering on our own using SurveyMonkey or Google Forms, and we certainly weren't going to do the data analysis on our own. And so as part of this work, I must have gotten contacts, I really don't remember this far back, at Bach Harrison. And eventually, I made contact with somebody named Jake Trumbo, project coordinator of Bach Harrison. And Jake is joining us on this podcast today to talk a little bit about the survey instrument that we used, about the data that we gathered, about the experience of working with SAR High School with Machon Siach, and maybe at the end we'll even get to talk a little bit about his acting career. So Jake, welcome to our podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Great, we're so excited that you're here. Could you just tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to do the work that you do, training, education, what exactly it is that you do when you're not talking to me on Zooms? Sure. So my role here at Bach Harrison, and I kind of started after finishing college and working a few other research jobs for more corporate companies and things, is I make sure that we have the surveys set up and I kind of just bring everybody together, make sure that everything goes off as, as smoothly as possible and answer questions and help uh, the project be a success. Well, that was the experience that we had reaching out to Jake and saying, we want to do this. We want to gather data about substance use in the modern Orthodox community. And of course, this wasn't just an SAR High School specific project. The three times that we've done the surveying, we've ranged from 17 to 20 modern Orthodox high schools, mostly in the New York area, but also across the United States to hear, to learn about how our 10th and 12th graders are doing. And the survey instrument that we used is a survey called the Prevention Needs Assessment Survey. Jay, can you tell us something about that survey, where it comes from, what it's based on, how we know that it's, well, maybe we'll get to validity questions in a minute because everyone has lots of those. Let's start with the PNA and then we'll get to validity questions. Sure, the PNA is our own company survey and it's based off the risk and protective factor model that's been in place, I think since about the seventies from the University of Washington. Our company president, Steve Harrison, is pretty well known in the research circles for prevention. And it is uh, 
battery of questions, about 125 questions that cover drug use, problem behavior, those risk and protective factors, and, and incorporate things from the youth tobacco survey and the youth risk behavior survey and the monitoring the future survey that are national things done by departments of health, CDC, and things like that. So I remember reaching out to you at some point early on, and we said to you we wanted to do this survey, which of course we did. And we also said to you that we wanted to add questions at the end, gauging our students' religious engagement, commitment, connection. That was also something that was very important to us and that we wanted to learn about. Have you seen other groups do similar kinds of surveying, or do most people just give the, the PNA as it stands and move along? I'd say maybe about a third of the places have another uh, topic or area that they're really interested in. Only out here in Utah do we even have a sort of a question that's, what religion are you? So we haven't done a lot of religious questions. And so that was something that you and I were together on and kind of how are we going to ask these? What is a good way to get data that will make sense and is uh, brief but covers what you want to cover? So. I have to tell our listeners that in the interest of getting the data that we wanted to get, we asked some very inside the weeds, community specific questions like, do you go to Shul on Shabbat? And if you do, Kabbalah Shabbat, Shachrit, Mincha Mariv. So I think Jake was getting something of an education in all of the various practices in terms of the Orthodox Jewish community as we crafted the questions. But he was helpful to us in figuring out how to ask the kinds of questions to get at what we wanted to know. I want to back up for a minute and go to the validity question, because this is the first thing that people ask us when we share the data, especially because as our listeners probably know, we talk about this a lot, the data were disturbing in one respect. We learned that our modern Orthodox community broadly, again, not just the SAR community, but our modern Orthodox community broadly, has a teenage drinking problem and specifically a teenage binge drinking problem. And so people resist accepting the data. And one of the first things they say is, how do you know this is at all reliable? It's a bunch of kids reporting about themselves. Maybe they're all lying. So I'm sure you get that question every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Can you tell us some of the answers that you have about validity? measures of the survey? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of technical things you could get into, but kind of what I tell people to assure them that it's that it's a reliable data is number one, we have five built-in checks in each in the survey to eliminate dishonest students. Things like there's a fake drug, there's um, some different things where questions don't line up with age grade or usage is way too high to be possible, those kind of things. But uh, on a bigger scale, yeah, people are like, oh, are kids honest with this? Well, we survey all over the country and we survey different states, and age groups. And when we see trends in the data, they kind of echo through all those different areas. If, the, if students were lying, they would have had to coordinate their lies across grades and then across geography to make sure that these trends all matched you would think if they were lying it would be a lot uh it would be a lot more random that you would see it in the data so by and large we find that kids are honest and i think that the kids you know when they're told why we're doing this and that this gives them a chance to talk about things that are bothering them areas where we can help them and different programs or things that might be of use that they uh they kind of step to the plate and respond and, and really help. And that's something we appreciate. Great, thanks. Let's talk about one thing about how we use the data. We decided all the way back, we surveyed, we've been surveying again for a while. We surveyed in 2019, in 2020, and again in 2023. And we anticipate now surveying every other year. 
2019-2020 was just to get us a baseline to start from, and then 23, and we hope again February of 25, and like that, keeping on going. And we made a commitment from the beginning that we weren't going to break out the individual school's data, even though, again, it's between 17 and 20 schools participating in the survey, because within our community, there is some level of competition between schools for students. And we thought that if schools could share or could know we're better than another school or worse than another school, that would dissuade them from participating in the surveying in the future. And so we've never gotten that data from you. We don't have it about ourselves. We certainly don't have it about any other school. No other school has it about themselves. And that's something that for us was both a commitment and really hard because that's data that we really wanted. I actually remember you saying to me once, like, we have it all broken out by school and me having to say, no, 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 don't send it to us. We don't want it. So I'm interested in any thoughts that you have about this trade-off between getting the best and most specific data that we could have and kind of sustaining the broader effort moving forward. Yeah, that's interesting. I remember those discussions with all the different school heads and right. was, that was definitely a sticking point for folks. So we had to work around that. We did maintain, that was something that we wanted to make sure we maintained that we had it in case those things changed so that later you're not just stuck with this blob of data. So that's, that's been good to have that way. Yeah, school-specific data would obviously be nice. We don't always provide that for places anyway. If you have a population that's maybe under 25 students for each grade, then you're getting into some privacy concerns and things. And some of those schools were smaller. Some were pretty large. But, I mean, perhaps even ways we can explore that in the future that they might be interested is just maybe regional. Or I know we looked at different boys versus girls or different age groups. So, Right. So what Jake was referring to there is that at some point doing further analysis of the data, because this story didn't end with the initial surveying, we went back to Bach Harrison to ask him to do further analysis of the data to see what else we could glean from it. And at some point, we also worked with an outside researcher affiliated with Columbia University, sent her all the data to see what a further deep dive into the data might reveal. And there was a point at which we coded all the data, and we looked at single-sex versus co-ed schools. In addition to breaking out by gender, boys and girls, we also looked at students in single-sex and co-ed schools, which in our community maps onto certain kinds of religious and communal choices to see if we could see meaningful differences between single-sex and co-ed schools. So we did, we were able to break the data down into somewhat smaller groupings, even if we weren't going to look at individual schools. So we, that, that is something that we, uh, that we ultimately were able to do. Um, do you have any any memories of the arc of this or what you thought when we first reached out when you came on that Zoom? Jake was on a few Zooms early in the beginning as we tried to recruit other heads of school and get other people comfortable with this or then explain the data. By now, you know, we can do this data in our sleep. But early on, um, any, any uh, memories or thoughts or stories about your side of this experience? I think sometimes our community finds it interesting to have ourselves reflected back to us through other people's eyes. Well, it was, it was interesting to see even things like the level of dress for different schools and like kind of what people were wearing. And they were, they were very passionate and there was a lot of back and forth about what would work and what wouldn't and what they were willing to accept. I, I'm happy we were able to, I think, make everyone happy and get everyone on board. A funny story is I was setting up another survey for Michigan and we had a Zoom meeting. It's not common. It's also not that common that I'm in Zoom meetings. So that was especially with, I think there was about a dozen different schools with your guys. But 
with this one, they were talking to me about doing their survey and they were saying, we saw this study of Jewish schools in New York and it was so interesting. We saw it at this conference or something. Do you know anything about that? <laughs> I was like, well, you're talking to the right person. Yeah, we, uh, I was the one that helped them put that on. So we're famous, we're famous. <laughs> yeah, you know, so that data that you guys had was is being uh, looked at and used in other states and just and from different presentations and things that I think they've seen. So, yeah, we're really excited to share it um, because for us, this has been so fascinating generally, unless you maybe become a math teacher, but people don't go into education or school administration with a really strong background in statistics. That's not the thing we were trained in. And the idea of gathering data as a, rather than all, any of the other things we could do, talking to kids, talking to parents, or just our own sense of like, oh, I think I know what's going on with the kids. But the idea of gathering meaningful data through surveys for us was like a little bit of a stretch or a reach. It's not what we naturally do as a school. And since we've, and now that we've done it, we found it so powerful. It's like, of course, that's a thing you should do. But before we did it, it actually seemed a little bit strange to us, I think. That's an interesting thing to bring up. And that's, it's something that we've seen play out actually in the data. We asked students, you were mentioning earlier, we asked students, you know, if you had to guess what percentage of your peers smoke cigarettes, drink alcohol, there's a, there's probably four or five or six of those. They're consistently wrong, especially as they get older. Sixth, eighth graders have a pretty good idea because not many of their peers are, and most of them also don't think that. But when you hit about 10th grade on, there is, there's a huge percentage of students, sometimes the majority of students that assume the majority of their peers are drinking or smoking or doing whatever, despite the actual percentage being for drinking, it's typically 12th graders, let's say like about 20%. They'll assume that it's the majority of students. So it's a, it's a powerful way to, to present that data to students to show them like you, you have this impression, but even if, when asked privately anonymously, your peers are admitting they, they don't really do that to the level that you're probably assuming. So it's easier for them to say no or look at peer pressure that way. Yeah, that's really interesting because when I said that before we started this, we really didn't know the data, kids would sometimes say to us, high school kids would say to us, 60% of my class does. or And we had no idea if that, that was, you know, true or not true. Now, even with the data, which again, our data about alcohol are pretty concerning, but it's not 60% of the class. Right. So that actually makes clear to us that that gives us a data point to say to kids, actually, most of your peers, even though we think the levels are concerning, I'm not minimizing that and we need to address it, but most of your peers aren't. And I think that's that's something valuable for us to know. I'm going to ask you a Utah-specific question, if you'll indulge me. Um, have you done surveying in the Latter-day Saints community or what people here might more commonly know is the Mormon community? We don't do a specific survey, although it's probably relevant that I would guess about 60% of Utah is LDS, maybe a little less in the big city of Salt Lake here, but we, so we survey statewide and a question that we ask is what your religious background is. So we have a kind of an idea of, of that population and it's probably the majority of our student population. They tend to have the most kids, too. So. Right. 
Because we find certain parallels between the communities in the sense there are very strong communal behavioral expectations. In our community, certainly, we then find that kids are not actually all acting according to those communal behavioral expectations. And the question of you know how much we acknowledge that, how much we address that, how squarely we face that is a big question in our community. And I wonder if you have any information, knowledge, or understanding about how that gets handled in another more traditional religious community with big families and with strong values around how, I mean, in their case, they're even less fond of substance consumption than we are. It's yeah, that's that's probably true. You see a pretty low use just because of it being prohibited religiously. We see very low rates here, mm -hmm. and a lot of the key factors for anywhere, but that seems to really come into play here is that parental disapproval and clear rules are some of the biggest indicators of preventing use. So having that family, and then there's a usually a very high protective factor of family bonding, of like family attachment is what it's called. So even the uh, Utah Alcohol Prevention, Parents Empowered is a group that tries to stop underage drinking in Utah and uses a lot of our data and, and encourages parents even at the liquor stores and in ads on TV, billboards and things that this is the age group. We've kind of narrowed down the age group when drinking begins and that to set those parental expectations and that even if you think your student isn't listening, they're they're getting the message and it, and it has an effect. So I don't know if that's all Mormon cultural, but it's it definitely plays into that. Well, that is a great plug because we have implemented in response to the data we gathered from the survey, the Guiding Good Choices Parenting Intervention developed at the University of Washington. And after a couple of years of rolling it out more gradually, this year we made it mandatory for all ninth grade parents in the high school. And it is very much focused on parental modeling and parental communication of values as a way to address, again, there are, there are similarities in the community in terms of religiosity, larger family size and things like that, but there are real differences in that to set, in certain ways Jewish culture actually supports drinking alcohol on certain occasions or in certain contexts. We found that it's gotten to problematic levels among adolescents in our community. And one of the things that we're working on through this GGC undertaking is having parents clarify their own values and clearly communicate values, expectations, and guidelines to their kids around alcohol. So hearing that that's a source of success in another religious community, I think is really interesting for us been so great talking to you today. I really appreciate your taking the time. I just have one last question that I have to ask you. When I went online today to Google you to find your exact title of Bach Harrison, in addition to finding you at Bach Harrison where I expected to find you, I found your IMDB page with your acting credits and the talent agency that represents you. So please tell us, Mr. Jake Trumbo, when you're not surveying yeshiva kids about their substance use, what other uh, side professional endeavors do you pursue? Well, I've done, I've done acting for a probably 23 years. I just kind of got into it in college. And so, you know, I've been in some commercials and a few films and some things and a lot of theater productions here in Salt Lake City. So I'm not at all famous, but but holding <laughs> down something sometimes. holding down both like the sciences and the arts side of things. 
So that is terrific. I will say one final thing, which is that Jake referenced some of the Zooms that he appeared on for us. He was always on the Zooms with the camera off. And then the first time he's on the Zoom with the camera on, Rusty Bohm, the school nurse and co-GGC coordinator, Michael Courtney, head of college counseling and co-GGC coordinator, and I were like, oh, that's what Jake looks like? So when we share this podcast, we will, as we always do, post pictures of the guests. And uh, then you're welcome to check out his IMDb IMDb page yourself. Thank you so much, Jake Trumbo, for joining us. Thank you so much for being part of the conversation. We have been the beneficiaries of so much of your knowledge and expertise over the years. And since we plan to continue surveying, we hope that we will continue to be the beneficiaries of your knowledge and expertise. I'll be there and I'll be glad to see you again. Terrific. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Grand Conversation. Please be sure to visit our website, www.mahonsiach.org, where you can subscribe to our podcast and find all of our work papers, essays, podcasts, on a whole variety of subjects. Until next time, this has been The Grand Conversation, the Machon Siach Podcast.